This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So, um, I don't know if you guys have caught these things called life hacks. You've seen these on, you know, Facebook and YouTube and all this kind of stuff. Little tricks on how to, how to do things that you've always done and always struggled with and all that sort of thing. My, my wife's favorite life hack is vinegar because she says it does, well, pretty much everything, doesn't it? <laughs> Cleans everything, cures everything. You know, it's one of those kind of deal. There's one I read about, um, uh, in preparing for this that, um, uh, now, t- somebody tell me this is true. I tried to get here early enough to test it, but I, I, I couldn't do it. It's where you get on an elevator, and you know how it's annoying when you get these kids that, like, will come, probably my kids, but, but anyway, they come on and press all the buttons, because buttons are fun to press, and they light up. Um, <clears throat> and, and then, of course, it takes forever to get to your floor. So they say that you can press the closed door thing and your floor and hold it until the door closes, and then it'll go straight to your floor. No, I know, I know. But they say that's for emergency crews. I don't know if that's true or not. Is that right? Yeah. So, cause they have, you know, if somebody's in trouble, they have to get straight there. So, haha. Now, see, you've already got something job done, right? All right. We're good. Okay. <clears throat> well, we're starting a new series in Proverbs and it's not about life hacks, but it is a practical series because Proverbs is a practical book. In fact, uh, Derek Kidner, one of the um, commentators on Proverbs, he, he says that Proverbs does not often take us to church. In fact, just like one of its main characters, a personified wisdom, Lady Wisdom, she cries out in the streets for people, beckoning people in to, to check out what real wisdom's all about and how to do life. It's odd, though, that she's not... Come on to the temple. Come over to the temple. Do some sacrifices. Read the... What? It's not about church in some senses. Proverbs is about practical life wisdom. How do you get on with life? How do we do life in a godly way? And what's neat about Proverbs, I think, one one thing that excites me about it is... I think it's one of the books, because it doesn't have all that religious language and because it's so practical that can connect with our friends. There's something that they can connect with there. There's, we're going to be talking about lots of different topics. We're going to be talking about things like choosing friends wisely. Need to do that? I've needed to do that. <clears throat> Trusting God with your money. Marrying well. Speaking truth. Forging strong families. Trusting God uh, with your plans, with your future. Loving justice. Developing discipline. Guarding your heart. And something called TBC. I don't know, but anyway, <clears throat> but okay, so, um, so it's going to be talking about lots of practical things and things that we need to do. Um, one, another thing that Kidner talks about, um, next slide, is um, that it, <clears throat> it puts um, <laughs> godliness in working clothes, um, and I think that's, that's a neat way of thinking of Proverbs, is that we can talk about the theology and what, how we should think, 
But unless we learn how that should look in life, unless we learn how to navigate things, we're not going to be able to put that godliness into practice. So in a way, it's a very practical idea of how are we going to do this life thing in a God way. All right? So that's mostly what it's about. Now, Bill Hybels talks about Proverbs. Um, there's another verse that he, he highlights. Um, he says it, it talks about um, <coughs> practical things about how life actually works. In fact, that's what our title of our series is, Making Life Work. And he says uh, in Proverbs 28, 19, it says, He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. So, you know, that sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? You know, if you work hard, things should go well for you. If you don't, they won't. The problem with that is almost everyone here can pretty much think of an exception to that rule. We can all think of somebody who, who maybe a farmer who's worked hard, but it was a drought. And so they, they weren't doing well that year because of that, you know? Or we've also known people that have sat on their rear and then won the lottery or done, you know, come into something really cool like that. So we all know exceptions to the rule. The problem is though, you can't navigate life by the exceptions. You have to look at what's the rule first before you can then go to understand the exceptions. And by the way, the Bible does consider the exceptions. That's what the book of Job and Ecclesiastes are all about. They're like, okay, you know all that stuff you study in Proverbs. When that doesn't pan out, here's what you do. So, so if you're working with those exceptions, there's stuff. But right now, we gotta, we got to get the first things first. In fact, um, scholars think that Proverbs was, off, was probably used in ancient education for people in school. Um, not that it wasn't good for adults. It was definitely good for adults. But they probably taught it to their kids in school, whereas uh, Job and Ecclesiastes was more for higher learning, usually, they think. So anyway, so that is our series. Um, and the first installment is today. So <laughs> here we go. Um, and it's called Pursuing Wisdom. Uh, so I thought, we've got to talk about how we're going to do this. What, what is wisdom all about anyway? That's kind of a fancy word we use. Um, and let me tell you, it's a little bit humbling preparing a sermon on wisdom, <laughs> especially when you don't feel like you have any, you know. Um, <clears throat> so um, there's a story um, uh, about a, an overzealous zookeeper, um, a guy named Friedrich of Paderborn, Germany. Um, he fed his constipated elephant named Stefan 22 doses of animal laxative and more than a bushel of berries, figs, and prunes before the plugged-up pachyderm finally let fly and buried the keeper under 200 pounds of poop. (laughs) Investigators say ill-fated Frederick, 46, was attempting to give the ailing elephant an olive oil enema when the relief beast unloaded on him like a dump truck full of mud. (laughs) The sheer force of the elephant's unexpected defecation knocked the keeper to the ground where he struck his head on a rock and lay unconscious as the elephant continued to evacuate his bowels on top of him, said flabbergasted Paderborn police detective Eric Dern. With uh, no one there to help him, he lay trapped under all that dung for at least an hour before a watchman came along. It seems to be just one of those freak accidents that happened. I never really thought about it before, Detective Dern said, but obviously giving an element an enema can be a very dangerous activity and not something that should be tempted alone. Well, at least you know it's all got to go uphill from here, right? We start with a poop story. You got to go up. All right. So um, he was uh, <clears throat> one example of what we think of as um, playing a fool. Um, 
And uh, Proverbs talks a lot about the wise and the fool. This is a major dichotomy that they're making a distinction between. And so, you know, we need to understand what it means to be a fool before we understand what it means to be wise. Um, Problem is today, most of us, when you hear that word fool, we think, oh, somebody's stupid. Doesn't have much going on up here. You know, that kind of stupid, uh, stupid kind of thing. But actually, when the Bible's talking about the concept of fool, it's not talking about your mental equipment. It is talking about um, whether you have acknowledged God in his ways or not, in how you approach life. Um, so it's, it's a different kind of concept. And we have to kind of get to grips with that today. Now, the thing is about fools is that fools are dangerous. As you can see, poor Friedrich, um, <clears throat> he uh, <laughs> you know, was a danger to himself. But being foolish isn't just a danger to yourself. Uh, it can also be danger to others. A number of years ago, there was a story of uh, two boys who broke into one of the relatives' houses in Alabama and uh, got some guns and some ammunition, and they went out over to a school, and they pulled the fire alarm. I don't know if you remember this story. And as people were filing out for the fire alarm, they were picking them off. Being foolish can be a very dangerous thing. And it's something you and I need to deal with and need to understand what is behind foolishness. Um, before, in, in order to understand why we need wisdom. Well, there's several different kinds of fool in the Bible. Lots of different words for it, actually more than five, uh, but we picked five. The Bible also acknowledges the danger of, of being a fool right here. It's uh, better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on his folly. <laughs> so, um, so the Bible also acknowledges this danger. But there's several different kinds of fool. The first kind of fool that it talks about in Hebrew it's leets, but um, it means a slacker, someone who's lazy, a sluggard, a sloth. Um, a slacker is someone who always enjoys, uh, well, it's interesting because the Bible talks about how the wise will actually enjoy more ease at the end of life than the slacker did. The slacker thinks they're taking it easy, but it's actually going to be more work for them in the end. Um, I remember one time... <coughs> um, when I was uh, in, in my, doing my MA in Denver, and uh, I was doing really well. I was in, in an Isaiah class, and I had a really good grade going into, uh, into the final exam. Uh, and I was pretty tired, been doing a lot of work and a lot of things, so I, I decided, you know what, I got this. I've, I know what's going on. I've, I've been acing everything so far. And I ended up getting what you'd call a 2-1. Um, and, and really, to this day, that's my, my thing is Old Testament, you know. And to, to this day, it really gnaws at me that I know I could have done better. But because I slacked off and I didn't count the cost of what we want. And that's what a slacker does. It doesn't count the cost of what it takes to actually get what you want. Um, so it still, to this day, kind of gets me. There's another kind of fool, though. Another kind of fool called a schemer. Now, this isn't always translated that way, um, but it's part of the concept. Uh, um, it's either a Kessler or an Evil. Um, and this is the kind of person that doesn't consider how they get what they want. You know, it doesn't matter if they cut corners. In fact, the worst thing for this person is to get caught doing what you're doing. They know what they want, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it takes to get that. They'll go there. They'll work on Sundays. They'll... They'll cheat on their taxes. They'll do whatever it takes to get what they think they need and what they think they want. They don't consider how they get they want what they want. There's also um, another one called a scoffer. 
Africa. See, they're always the ones sitting on the sidelines, poking fun at what's going on. And I think a lot of times you and I have this, there's, we've seen people that like to do that as well. You know, it's one thing to get up here and do something, but it's, it's, it's really easy afterwards to go critique. I mean, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I'll bet there'll be a lot of critiques of what I'm doing right here, right after this. Oh, he should have said that. And he went on too long about this and, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? It's easy to do that. I remember when I was in music school that we got, you know, we're trained to analyze music and, you know, whether things are in tune and what the chord progressions go and, and how the melody went and, you know, did they repeat that enough? And, you know, you, you learn to analyze it. It became so difficult after learning to analyze um, that actually music wasn't any fun anymore because you were always picking out what was wrong with it and what was problem with it. And that note was out of tune and, oh, they should have gone to this chord and, oh, they did that too many times. And all of a sudden it, it was just no more fun because we were sitting in the seat of scoffers looking and making fun or critiquing everybody else rather than getting out there and doing it ourselves. See, so a, a scoffer is kind of a fool that doesn't um, <clears throat> consider others in, in, in what they're doing. They don't consider what it takes to do it. Um, there's also someone that I guess I would call stupid, um, <laughs> a Nabal. Um, you probably remember that character from the story of David, but um, he, uh, this is the kind of person... He or she, by the way, um, a lot of Proverbs language is in masculine terms, but remember that was in a day where that was considered inclusive. So, ladies, please read yourselves into these things too. <laughs> um, it's not just the men that were fool. You know, I was gonna, I was trying to find illustrations for being a fool, and uh, I couldn't think of anything. And then I asked my wife, and she wouldn't stop. <laughs> she kept going on. Oh, and you did this, and it did that. Um, <clears throat> so, um, the stupid person, the stupid person. Well. This is the kind of person that doesn't consider the dangers involved in getting what they want. They just kind of go recklessly on ahead, uh, regardless of what's, what the dangers are involved. So it's not even that what they want is such a bad thing, but how they go forward through life, how they attain that, or they try and attain that. It's like with blinders on, that there might be some landmines ahead, you know, that kind of thing. Let me give you an example. I was trying to um, uh, shift a church back in Denver from... Uh, from a very traditional setting, uh, and they were losing a lot of the young people, so we were trying to in, uh, infuse some more modern music into that church. And um, so I did a lot, and in the first year, I mean, I changed the sound system, changed music, put bands together, uh, got new people involved, and, and there was just lots of going on, things going on. Not that the things I was doing were wrong, but I was moving way too fast. And I wasn't paying attention to the power brokers in the church at all. And anytime you go into a situation and you're trying to do something or change something, there are people that have vested interest in what's going on, and there's power plays that go on. And I ran up against that, and, uh, well, I got axed. Not because I'd done anything wrong, but because I had not paid attention to the landmines and to who the power brokers in the church were and how to bring them on board and work with them rather than despite them. I learned later from a, a wise guy that uh, was mentoring me later. Um, and <clears throat> he said that when you go into a room and you're trying to figure out who the people, who the power brokers are, it's usually not the first person who speaks. It's usually the last person. Because they let other people you know, babble on and spurt off things immediately. But they're sitting back seeing what's going on. And they know where they stand and, and what power they wield. 
So that, oh, there's bonus, that's free too. Um, <clears throat> so there's the stupid person, doesn't consider um, ha, um, the dangers in what they, uh, in, in how they get what they want. Now, finally, um, uh, there are more types, but there's also the simple, the simple person, simpleton, we might say. Um, and this kind of person is a, um, the person, um, literally in Hebrew, it's a, a petty, um, and what that means is open. You use that same verb to open a door or something like that. So we could almost call this person the open-minded person, but in our, our day, that's a good thing. You want to be open-minded, yeah? But maybe it's so open-minded that your brain fell out. <laughs> Think of it that way. Um, <laughs> and this is the kind of person that's gullible, gullible and naive, um, the person that can be led astray fairly easily. In fact, the kind of person that, um, uh, you know, a tempter or a temptress is going to come along sooner or later and, you know, someone who knows what they want and what that simple person half wants. I thought that was an interesting way. That was Kidner again. But, um, uh, you know, what they half want. It's like they haven't really figured out what they want. And because of that, they're very moldable, and they can go on into any kind of direction and be, and be led astray uh, in different ways. Um, <clears throat> so it's not that they're stupid. Do you see that? It's, this isn't about intelligence. But it is about knowing how, how you're going to get what you want, what you want, um, uh, you know, what methods and how other people fit into that. All of that is wrapped up into the, the ideas of wisdom. But perhaps, you know, these are the kind of fools we read about in the Bible. Perhaps the joke's on us. You know that story we told you about earlier about the elephant, right? I looked into it, and uh, <clears throat> there's no zoo in Paderborn, Germany. And there's no listing for either that Friedrich guy or the detective that was mentioned in the story. Um, the story was uh, said to happen at night, and a watchman found him. But actually, there's shadows in the picture. Um, how does that happen at night? Oh, in fact, the elephant's on one of those little things like they would use for a circus act or something like that, you know. It's a fake story. It's not true. And I find that actually, when we look at the fool in the Bible, the Bible isn't saying, now let, this is information so you know how to fix or avoid all those fools out there. Actually, the fingers are pointing back at us and saying, actually, this is how we are. This is how what we're looking at. In fact, the Bible talks about um, <clears throat> uh, foolishness being wrapped up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline would move it far from him. Here we have a child quite intelligently taking a nap on the train tracks. But um, anyway, <clears throat> the problem is if it's in a child, it's in us. And what that means is our nature, our instinct is foolishness. We are drawn, we gravitate to one of those types of fools. Maybe lots of them. <laughs> I did. I certainly did. Um, in fact, I need to tell you a story about one time when, when I was um, caught up in this. I was um, uh, a lot younger. <laughs> this was 20-odd years ago. And uh, I was a youth worker uh, in, in a church. And I was new to the area and so I was still learning the ropes, um, and I, one of the ladies in the church began to uh, help me out and gather some of the youth for all sorts of events and things. I thought it was quite helpful, um, but kept hanging around and doing lots of extra things as well, and, uh, and then began to share lots of stuff about her life with me. She was married, shared, me, shared with me some of her problems that she uh, had with her, her own marriage, 
and as this began to go on, there was more and more time spent together. Um, and I would say, looking back on it, I would call it an emotional affair. You know, there was no physical stuff going on, but, um, but there was inappropriate behavior going on here. And what I didn't realize, as a young guy, not only new to the area and new to the ministry and all that kind of stuff, but I also didn't know about women. <clears throat> Sorry. Because <laughs> I was so used to chasing you. Um, I had never had one chase me. It, it kind of threw me, threw me off guard, you know. I didn't know how to handle that. Uh, the attention, whoa, whoa. And one of the things I didn't realize was that this sharing that she was doing wasn't real. It wasn't, it wasn't that the problems weren't real, but it, was, it, it wasn't just because, oh, I was going to help her out and she really trusted my advice and all this. It was all to reel me in and get my attention and spend more time with me and get me looking at her and, 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 and investing in her emotionally and otherwise. That's what, that was go- that's what was going on underneath the scene. But I, I was too much of a fool to know that. It almost cost me my ministry. When I realized, when I had some godly friends that uh, picked up on this, you know, they told me what was going on, and I responded, and I tried to cut that off. But you know what? Sometimes our foolishness is not so easy to get out of. I tried to cut off all contact with that lady, but she was so entrenched in all the youth work and everything else I was doing in the church and everything, it was hard to really even do that. Um, and, you know, I had a real sweet deal at a gym that I was going to because I got in early, you know, before they had their building and everything. Oh, it was really cheap, cheap deal. It was great. Uh, but then she popped up at my gym. So I had to quit the gym. You know, so it cost me in a lot of different ways. Almost cost me in a lot more. But it was because I was being a fool. You know, it wasn't that I had bad intentions. But I was being a fool. And I didn't realize what was going on around me. Well, how are we gonna, how are we gonna address that? How is Proverbs gonna help us with that, with our foolishness? Well, there's, the beginning of Proverbs talks about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You heard this before? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Now, I was talking to Jaden about that, and he's going, well, wait a minute, fear of God? We're not supposed to fear God. That's not, you're not supposed to do that. And, and it is one of those terms that we gotta go, what? What's going on with that? Um, how, you know, what, what does that mean? How are you supposed to fear God and get wisdom? What, what does that have to do with it itself? Um, well, there's a lot of different kind of fears. You know, there's a fear of things that could kill us. And I think that's what a lot of people think about God sometimes, is that the fear of God means, you know, that watch out, any misstep, he's going to zap you. You know, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> but um, there are, that is a kind of fear. You know, fear spiders and other creepy crawlies and great white sharks when you're swimming and all, you know, all the kind of dangerous stuff that can kill you. Um, there's also kind of a, an adrenaline rush kind of fear, right? You know, where you love the roller coasters or the bungee jumping or whatever kind of crazy thing you like to do that, you know, that goes for the adrenaline rush. That's a different kind of fear that we like, you know? Um, there's also phobias, right? There's phobias that seem irrational, but they're usually connected to experiences we've had. In the past, right? And that, that, you know, maybe a fear of heights or something like that. Or, um, and so there's different kinds of fear. But I don't think that's the kind of fear that we're talking about here. Um, C.S. Lewis, a, a writer, a famous Christian writer, uh, Narnia fame, uh, he said, if you were told that there was a ghost in the next room, and you believed it, 
you would experience a kind of fear. But it's not the kind of fear that comes from something dangerous, because who knows what a ghost is going to do, right? You know, It's actually just a fear because it is a ghost, and something that's just uncanny rather than dangerous, so to speak. And you would feel uh, something we call dread, he says. It's a different kind of fear. It's a fear due to the nature of the thing. Um, the Old Testament uses this term, fear of God, as kind of the, the, the main term for faith. In fact, the times when we see Abraham believed God, that's actually the exception to the rule. That's the word amen, what you, uh, you and I know as amen. This is the word yore, and it means to fear God, and, and it's the normal word for fear. So what does, what does it mean to fear God? Well, Lewis continues on, and he says this. He says, there's a fear that you would feel in the presence of God, and you would feel a wonder and a certain shrinking, a sense of inadequacy to cope, an emotion which might be expressed in Shakespeare's words, under it, my genius is rebuked. I think that's from Macbeth. Um, under it, my genius is rebuked. What a great turn of phrase, eh? Because it speaks of how when you're confronted with a being like God, you are undone. All the masks and the things that you wear to convince people that you're good or up to good or you're intelligent or clever or beautiful, or all of that gets wiped away. And, and also the rationalizations for what we're doing and what we're up to. Well, you can't BS God. All of that falls away. and he, he can see right through it. Have you ever been in, with a person that just sees right through you? And you just can't BS them and you can't fool them. And they, they get you in a way that maybe other people don't get for good or for ill. God is that to the nth degree. When you're in front of God... You have no pretense anymore. It's gone. And the reason that that fear, that that kind of fear is the beginning of wisdom, is it's because it's only when we get to the bottom of ourselves like that, that bare, naked, awkward, all out there, can't fool anybody kind of presence, that's that time when we're teachable. When we go, oh, okay. I can't play this game anymore. I'm not fooling anybody anymore. And I need help. I can't do this life thing anymore. It's not going to work. And it's when you get to that point when you're teachable. And I think that is part of what wisdom that, that Proverbs is trying to tell us to do, is that we need to get to that point before we can really acquire wisdom and God's wisdom. There's um, uh, Proverbs talks about this in the second half of that verse of this verse, it says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, God wants to teach us how life works. He wants to give you uh, understanding of how it works, but it's only when you can come, come to him at that point um, that we're going to receive it. In fact, King Solomon, who is one of the wisest persons ever to have lived, um, wrote Proverbs and, and, and several other books in the Bible, at least parts of them. Um, he, when he became king... He could have prayed for anything. He said this in 1 Kings 3.9, So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? 
And that word for understanding heart literally means hearing heart. He asked for a hearing heart. I wonder today where we are unteachable. What area of your life can nobody really speak into? Because you've got this. I've got this. I know. I'm good at this one. I know this. Or I'm determined and I'll get through it no matter what. What area of our lives, our relationships, our jobs, our goals, our kids, are, are you unteachable in? Where do you need to be dressed down by God and, and, and for Him to point out who you really are? Not who you, you know, sometimes we believe the lies about who we are. And Him to show us who we really, really are. Well, it's not just about teachability. I think there's more to it than that. Um, there's a story about in the Bible about a creature named Leviathan. This is kind of a, a, a sea creature. It's almost like a dragon because it breathes fire. Um, and there's a character called Job who is going through a lot of problems. He's lost his house. He's lost his kids. Um, he's lost his health. And he's going, and he's, he's, he's actually struggling with why. why. Why did all this stuff happen to me? You ever wonder that? Why is all this stuff happening to me? Um, what did I ever do to deserve this kind of stuff? That's kind of the question. So he's kind of trying to get God in the dock on it and saying, God, what gives? And one of God's responses to Job is to say, consider this Leviathan creature. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he heed your supplications? Will he speak to you with soft words? Um, will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as a bird? Will you traders bargain over him? Will they divide him among the merchants? Can you, can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. I could go on, and it talks about his armor being, he's got a double-plated armor, and, and the armor's so tight, the air can't even get in between the links, and all this. He goes on and on and on about this creature. Now, we don't really know what a Leviathan is. In, in a way, it almost seems like a mythical creature. But I think there's a point to bringing that up and to not defining what that Leviathan thing is. And it's this, that there are things in this universe, in this world, that we don't get, that are well beyond us. You know, there's stuff happening in galaxies billions of light years away that still happens, and we will never even know it happened. God is aware of all the things that are going on in this universe and why and how they work. And many of them are well beyond us. We're not even aware of them. And we think we got, we got life. We think we have life under our, you know, we've kind of sussed it, figured it out, how people work, how things work, how systems work, how science works. We, we think we get it, but there's stuff in this world that goes on that's well beyond us and will always be well beyond us. To get wisdom for life, we need to go to the source of the, uh, of who put this whole thing together. He understands life in a way that even the best scientists are never going to get. Because there's a way that people are. There's a way we're built to be. That if we don't take that into consideration, 
We'll never understand how people are going to react to us or how we should act to them. So we need to get the, the, the wisdom from the source of how this world is put together. Now, finally, there's, there's one more thing that I think um, the fear of the Lord teaches us about wisdom. So it's not just about um, who we are and, and, and bringing us to a point of teachability or getting us in touch with the one who set all the systems up and, and set this world in motion and getting the wisdom from the source. But it's also about looking at the purpose of wisdom. If we look at uh, the, the last part of the verse... Um, um, verses uh, uh, in Proverbs 2 that we had in the reading that uh, Florence read for us. <clears throat> There's an interesting thing in, in 2 verse uh, 5. So, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make, my, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover... The knowledge of God. See, there's an interesting thing going on about the purpose of wisdom. There's that parallel in that last verse between the fear of the Lord and discovering the knowledge of God. I think a lot of times we want wisdom as a tool, as something to help us get on with stuff, get on with life. Just tell me how to sort this relationship out or find that spouse or get that promotion or that next job. Just show me that and then I'm good. I got it from there, God. No problem. The problem is that's not the purpose of wisdom. purpose of wisdom isn't just to help you get your stuff done. But actually wisdom leads us to a knowledge of a person. Um, when we're talking about what fear of God is, there's um, another writer, John Mallon, who writes for Inside the Vatican, said this. Many people relate the fear of God to the notion the Bible portrays God as a cosmic judge waiting to splat them for every misstep. Um, but he says, a person truly in love actually fears doing something that would hurt the beloved or create distance in the relationship. To a husband truly in love, infidelity is horrific and unthinkable. Not because it will get him in trouble, but because of his love for his wife. The motivation of genuine fear of harming this precious love is referred to as filial fear, where fear of simply getting in trouble is called servile fear. And I think that, that speaks of a different kind of fear of the Lord. The idea is we want, we want to fear him because we care about our relationship with him. He's the end of this thing. Wisdom leads us to him. Not just through life, but to Him. In fact, uh, in the New Testament, it talks about um, wisdom, that Christ is our wisdom. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ Himself is God's wisdom, personified, embodied. But see, wisdom is no longer a thing, it's a person. It's someone that we relate to. So my question for you is this. Do you know wisdom? I don't feel wise sometimes, but do you know wisdom? Do you know Christ as your wisdom? In the things that you are faced with, you know, the stuff that like tomorrow morning is going to be front and center in your head, or maybe even the things you're going to be thinking about as you try and lay down to sleep tonight. Oh no, I got to do this and I got to do that. And then, 
What is that stuff? What's that stuff that you wrestle with? You know, for me, one of the things is I've got to, I, I got to get a job. Um, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to sort, sort my career and, and all that thing. That's in my face. And a lot of times I'm trying my own wisdom to figure that out. And I'm God, God help me do this. God help me do that. You know, give me the right contacts and give me the right way of putting my CV together and help me do well in the interview and give me wisdom to discern if this is the right job or career path or not. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm praying all these things and I'm working through these things. But the problem is, is a lot of the time I'm still relying on me and my own wisdom. And even if I get the job, I'm like, cheers for that. And I'm off. But that's not the point. See, God wants to give you wisdom to show you that He's the source of this whole thing anyway. And He's the point. Have you experienced Him in your wrestlings with wisdom? Have you experienced how amazing He is? Have you experienced how He is more powerful than you? And more wise than you? Have you experienced what He can actually give you that's beyond you? That you could never have come up with on your own, ever. Because unless we worship a God that's beyond us, then why are we bothering? Why are we bothering? God is beyond us. What I'd like to do now is I'd like you to take a little bit of time. I'd like us to close our eyes, and I just want you to ask God to speak to you. About, about wisdom. What area in your life have you played the fool? Or are still playing it? Or maybe trying to extract yourself from something you've done? What area of your life are you doing that with? In what area of your life do you need His wisdom? A godly kind of wisdom, not a human kind of wisdom. One that knows how things work, how things really work. And finally, what, what area... His, um, is he asking you to experience him in, to seek him in? Not just, not just success in a situation, but to encounter him through that and to, and to know him. Father, please speak to us. Show us where we have um, been putting on masks, maybe been fooling ourselves about who we are, who we think we are. Maybe we've been fooling ourselves about how we're doing what we're doing. A few cutting corners here and there is not going to hurt. Maybe we've had great motives, but we've been ignoring things that go on around the dangers of, of politics and the dangers of um, things associated with what we're trying to do. We've just been plowing ahead, not paying attention to how this world really works. You told us to be wise as serpents and yet gentle as doves. Have we really done that? Have we allowed the purity of our motives to obscure our methods and taint our methods? 
Maybe we've been unteachable in some area. Father, would you convict us right now of those areas? Bring them to mind right now as we just sit here and and listen to you. And let us trust that what you're saying to us right now is what you want us to focus on and give over to you. Let's just sit in silence for a little little longer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.